It is Thursday, October 20th. I'm Scott Sidon. And I'm AJ Hoffman. The NLCS even at a game apiece. The Astros up 1-0 in the ALCS. And week seven of the NFL starts tonight. Here comes the Vegas truth. This is straight out of Vegas. We are straight out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. Houston Astros jump out in front in the ALCS, taking a 4-2 win over the Yankees. The Padres even up the NLCS, beating the Phillies 8-5. And the Cardinals, favored by 2.5, hosting the Saints on Thursday night football. The Vegas lead, AJ, is the Major League Baseball postseason. Joining us on this episode is the only two-time winner of the Super Contest, Mr. Steve Fezzik, looking svelte as ever in the midst of his weight loss challenge. Good morning, Fez. Good morning. Well, A.J. Hoffman, former competitive fighter, he's used to cutting weight, and he is in my corner right now. Uh, I had a very brief conversation with him. I'm like, what should I eat today? And A.D. responded, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get serious, man. Got to get on the grind. Now is the time to get serious. And now is the time to get serious for the New York Yankees, who uh, did not have an off day after beating the Guardians because of the rain out and advancing out of the ALDS in five games. Yes, exactly. By the way, this is is a a New York guy and a Houston guy doing the show. Mm -hmm. Shocker. They travel to Houston to take on the Astros. Jameson Tyone against Justin Verlander. Verlander strikes out 11, allows one run on a Harrison Bader home run. And by the way, AJ, are Yankee fans still complaining about that Jordan Montgomery trade? Because Harrison Bader now has four home runs this postseason. Yeah, I'd say he, they, they came out all right in that. And especially given that if, if you had Montgomery, he's probably pitching in Tyone's spot. And Jamison pitched well tonight. He's he's not the reason they lost this game. Tyone, four and a third innings, allowed just one run. Uh, That came on a uh, Maldonado double. So the catcher, who really barely hits for the Houston Astros. Sometimes doesn't even bring a bat to (laughs) Exactly. Drives in a run. And then the Astros use the long ball. Uh, Yuli Goriel, Chase McCormick, and uh, uh, Jeremy Pena all go deep. In fact, two of those guys homered off of Clark Schmidt and Fez, get this for statistics. Clark Schmidt, this season, this according to Katie Sharp on Twitter, faced 140 right-handed batters. He had only allowed two home runs. In this game last night, he allowed two home runs to right-handed batters in a span of three batters faced. Kind of shows how a short sample... An apparent large sample can be a short sample because you'd say, all right, there's a 1 in 70 chance that he will give up a home run. Well, now we're going to have to adjust our odds a little bit, seeing as how 1 in 70 long shots don't normally go 2 and 1 in any circumstance or situation in the world. So now the Astros take a one game to none lead over the Yankees and the series price. This is what we talked about on yesterday's show, AJ. I said I was going to chalk up game one as a loss because it was Justin Verlander against Jamison Tyone, and I said I wanted the Yankees' series price after game one. 
That's it's still where you stand. That series price is now Astros minus 360, Yankees plus 295. I like it still. I, I think the Yankees are absolutely live in this series. The I disagree. One, the one thing I, I will say is the Yankees are plus 135 for today's game two. And so am I better off taking the Yankees at the plus 135? Because if they want to lose this, this game, it's over. If they if they want to win this series, this is a game that they have to have. Luis Severino on the hill against Fran Valdez. This is a game they got to have if they want to win the series. Those would be correlated, right, Fez? Yes, and I like the game two bet much better than the series odds. Although I'm going to tell you how to bet the series if you do want the big, the big dog number. Here's the problem: the minus three sixty plus two ninety five. The dastardly bookie is dealing a straddle of sixty five cents. So mm. what does that mean? Let's say the correct number, no vig, is minus three thirty plus three thirty. The odds maker can get this number wrong by thirty cents in either direction, and you still don't have a profitable bet. The true odds it could be minus 360 plus 360 or minus 300 plus 300. That'd be a 75% chance Houston wins. Whenever there's a straddle this big, I am a firm believer almost no one can beat it. Now, the people who disagree, the naysayers will say, well, wait a minute, Fezzik. The, the actual hold that the, the book has on something like this is less than the 4.54%. And they'll use that as proof that it's beatable. I will come over the top of that. The bigger a favorite gets, the less the Theo hold matters. I rather than do the math, let me give you an example. You run into a random stranger. You can bet on whether you can guess his birthday. All right? Mm-hmm. One in 365 chance. And 366 on leap years. There you go. 365 and a quarter. Very good. So let's say that this book offers 100 to 1 to get it right, or you can lay 1,000 to make a dollar if you want to bet against a certain mm-hmm. date. Obviously, both wagers horrendous, yeah. right? Not even close. Well, the theoretical hold, though, for a book is less than 1% offering those odds. So you can see the problem with evaluating how good a wager is based upon a theoretical hold. It just doesn't hold water on these extreme levels. So I would much rather you shop it and just bet the Yankees to win game two. However, I'm going to give you an out here. If you do want to bet the series, this is a great free bet. Let's say you've got an account where you've got a bonus and you've got a free bet that is sitting in your account then without boring you with all the mathematical details, you want to play like a three-to-one underdog, and here's a plus-295 dog that you like. This would be a great bet to use as a free bet where win or lose, they take away your initial offering, so you want to bet a big underdog. Mm, Interesting. Uh, I think, AJ, what it comes down to why I like the Yankees moving forward is if the Yankees earn a split in Houston, they go back to the Bronx with home field advantage. And having those three consecutive games, oftentimes, Fez, it it benefits the team that doesn't start the series with home field advantage. If the Yankees earn a split by winning this game tonight, then they go into the Bronx with Cole and, and Nestor Cortez pitching and a very good chance to win both of those games. They'll be favored in both of those games. The Yankees could be up three games to one with a chance to clinch this series without going back to Houston. And probably the the best example I remember from history, the NBA Finals used to be the two three two, and there was you know the great Lakers team when they played Detroit, and Detroit was undervalued, but the Lakers were like a four to one favorite, and they split in LA one one, and they went to Detroit. Well, the Lakers never got a chance to play another home game. Pistons winning all three games, three four and five, and the momentum that you speak of. Once Detroit won Game Four, I tell you what, 
you could tell it was in the Lakers' head that uh, they were in deep trouble. And maybe if they had a reset game five, it might have been different. I doubt it, but um, that momentum was key. I mean, I, I think saying that they'll they'll both be favored, which I do agree, they probably w- both will be favored. Cole and Cortez doesn't necessarily mean that they win both of those games. Of course, I I kind of disagree with you about. I I think Cole is at best a neutral matchup because we talked about this during the the division series. How Cole most home runs allowed in the league. Guess what? It didn't matter against Cleveland because Cleveland can't hit home runs. Houston hits lots of home runs. So throwing out a guy who throws who gives up the most home runs against this Astros lineup doesn't feel like a huge edge uh, for the Yankees. Severino has seen the Astros twice this year, uh, both losses, 2-1 to one and 3-1. to one. So pitched well, six innings in one, two earned runs, six innings, three earned runs in the other. Pitched well, just got out-dueled. Out and then Fromber has gone up against the Yankees just once this year. He was matched up against Tyone, and the the Astros were up six to three. They were uh, it was a Bregman three run homer, a Stanton three run homer, mm-hmm. a Jordan three run homer, and you may remember this game where it, it was in the ninth inning. It was six to three. Aaron Hicks hits a three run homer to tie it. <laughs> I do remember. And then Aaron Judge singled the left, and the Yankees win yep. seven to six. So uh, that was a game where the the Astros' win probability was like ninety seven percent or something like that, yeah. and and they gave it up in the last inning. So um, I'll say this about this matchup though: the Yankees, much like the Astros, mash left handed pitching. I mean, you want to talk about the best teams in Major League Baseball against left handed pitching all season? St. Louis one, the Astros two, the Yankees three. So with Valdez going on the hill, uh, I think the Yankees. Bats might wake up here. Yeah, I, I guess that's that's possible. Like I said, uh, the only guy who touched him in that game was Stanton. Stanton mm-hmm. hits a three-run bomb off of him. But it, it, listen, I, I think this is a – Fromber is a, an, an advantage Astros. I, I think Severino's had a very good year. I think Fromber's just been better. Um, I, I, what, I, what it really boils down to to me, and I, this is why if you like the Yankees, I think playing this game yeah. is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think if they lose this game, hope is almost down to none because you're only going to get three outings from your two best pitchers for the Yankees. Yeah. You're only going to get three games from Cole and Cortez. And if you pitch Cortez in a game seven, it means you're skipping Cole. So it's, there's only three outings from those guys and this is what kind of what we go back to when the rainout happened and the Astros swept their series. The Astros had time to set things up exactly how they wanted. The Yankees, because they had to pitch Cortez in the deciding game against Cleveland, it kind of got thrown it, it got thrown off a little bit. Doesn't it feel like this was just a wasted opportunity yesterday? You know, you're going up against Justin Verlander. You jump out to the lead. You have a one nothing lead in the second inning. Okay, you give that run right back. But you you're you hold the Astros scoreless. Uh, you were talking about it earlier, AJ. You know, Altuve did nothing. Jordan Alvarez did nothing. Al- Alex, Breg- Alex Bregman did nothing. Kyle Tucker did nothing. Those four guys, 0 for 12, and you lose this game. Every run that the Astros got came off the bat of one of their support players. Yeah. Like it's just that that's the kind of game that you've got to win. That's it. Just seems like a wasted opportunity. The Yankees had this game, despite the fact that Verlander was incredible, despite the fact that he struck out eleven. They had an opportunity here to scratch across a run 
and take advantage of the big bats for the Astros not doing anything. They lose the game, and now you wonder what hope they have to uh, win this series. But um, it might be an unpopular take, but I'm okay with that. I'm a little bit of a contrarian when it comes to that. Uh, I'll ride with the Yankees here in game number two. Boy, speaking of uh, a turn of events, what a wild sequence we had in the day game in San Diego. Uh, The National League Championship Series is even at a game apiece. Padres win 8-5 over the Phillies. Aaron Nola got the start for Philadelphia. Blake Snell for the Padres. And in the second inning, the you want to talk about floodgates opening up? It was like everything that could go wrong went wrong for the Padres, including a fly ball to right field that Juan Soto loses in the sun, falling and allowing. It was, like, embarrassing. I mean, he's shielding his eyes, and then he covers his head to not get hit in the head with the baseball. That allows a run to score. The Phillies put up four runs in the top of the second inning. And then in the bottom of the second inning, I think this is where the game kind of changed. All the momentum and emotion was on the Phillies side in that after that top of the second inning. You have a 4 nothing lead with Aaron Nola on the hill. You're, you're ace. You're stud. And what are they in game at that point? Minus 900? Something like that? It's still early, so maybe a little less, but it, it's, it's pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. And the total's only six and three quarters on this game. In game one, Zach Wheeler, this was this, I think this was an adjustment by the Padres. In game one, Zach Wheeler got so many first pitch strikes looking. Hmm. The Padres were very patient. I think that was the strategy here for Aaron Nola, who is a fastball dominant pitcher, to get the first pitch over as a strike. And well, in, that, in that second inning, when they were up four nothing, the first two pitches were two fastballs that were hammered for home runs. So with a blink of an eye, after you take a four nothing lead, all of a sudden now it is a four two game. Nola then settles down. He's great. We get to the fifth inning, and the fifth inning is key because of the way you invested in this game. Yes, I had Phillies in the first five <laughs> innings plus a half a run. It's a 4-2 game going to the bottom of the fifth inning. To lead off that fifth inning, the Aaron Nola gives up a single. You're okay with it. It happens, right? Guys give up singles all the time. Hasso Kim gets a single. Trent Grisham then flies out to center field, and then it's Aaron Nola against Austin Nola. By the way, this is the first time in Major League Baseball postseason history that two brothers, one being a pitcher and the other being a batter, are facing off against each other. So, Doesn't one have to be a pitcher? No, you can have two brothers on opposite teams playing each other, saying this is the first oh. time we've had a pitcher batter mm. face off against oh, each other. Oh, I'm with you now. Like, it's happened in baseball history. Yeah, yeah, you've course. had brothers on other teams play sure. against each other, but this is the first time you've had a pitcher mm. against the batter there. So uh, Austin Nola singles, that scores a run. So it's now 4-3. Okay. Yurikson Profar with the single. Now we got first and third. Juan Soto's down to his final strike. He laces a double down to right field. Now it's 4-4. Boy, if you bet the under, you're not happy with Soto. Now it's Clean four. shot, though, down the line is a good a good hit. Yeah, it was one that, like, it was an 0-2 pitch that I don't know how he kept foul. It was so inside, like right on his hands, and he just pulls it down the line. So just quick bat. Great job. Nothing you can do. Tip your cap. Nola then strikes out Manny Machado. It is now 4-4, two outs, bottom of the fifth inning, runners on first and third. You bring in Brad Hand, lefty, who's been elite this season, 
to pitch against Jake Cronenworth, and with two strikes on Jake Cronenworth, he You're about hits. 80, freeze it. You're like 86, don't hold that thought. You're about 87% to win your plus a half first five inning yeah. at that point. So it's second and third, two outs, because it was a Soto double. So second and third with two outs, 2-2 two, two count on the batter. He hits him with a pitch. Uh-oh. Hangs a curveball, hits him in the arm. Now there's bases loaded. And now you got a situation that you did not want to happen. Because I truly believe that if Brad Hand gets out Cronenworth, the Phillies start the sixth inning with a different pitcher. They specifically brought him in to face the lefty, get that lefty-lefty matchup. But because he's in, what's the Major League Baseball rule with relief pitchers? You either got to face three batters or you end the inning. Because he didn't end the inning, he has to stay in to face three batters. Brandon Drury being a right-handed pitch or batter. What happens if you get injured? Oh, you see fake an injury? Maybe yes. that's what you should have done. Ooh, my arm. <laughs> Bottom line is Brandon Drury singles, scores two runs. Then Josh Bell, the next batter, switch hitter, he singles, scores another run. They remove Brad Hand after the three batters, and the Padres take a 7-4 lead. Ball game. Padres win 8-5. Aloha. I am Mr. Hand. I have but one question for you. Do you put your trust in me to win your first five-inning bet? Because if you did, you cannot attend my class anymore. Yeah. So I, that it's amazing how one span of four or five at-bats completely changes the entire game. This is the my Phillies, entire problem. The Phillies with- were dominating. The 4 nothing lead, the emotion is sucked out of the ballpark. And all of a sudden, in the fifth inning, bang. This is why Nick Bogdanovich... Uh, famous Vegas bookmaker once said, in order to bet baseball properly, you have to have whiskey and a revolver yeah. close by. Because so often it's such highly leveraged situation, bases loaded, one out, hard ground ball. If it goes through the infield, it's a three-run inning. Mm-hmm. Or it's a double play. Yeah, And that decides the game. What does this do for the series? Because obviously this is one of those games where if you told the Padres, Blake Snell's given up four runs today, Padres are like, oh, crap, mm-hmm. we're in trouble but he gets a win out of it. What, is this, what does this mean for the series going forward? How big was this for the Padres? It was huge for the Padres. The Phillies are staring in the face of a 2-0 lead and, and having an opportunity to go back to Philadelphia with that lead. Now it's 1-1. The Padres are favored in this series now. Padres are minus 115. Phillies minus 105 uh, on the other side. Uh, game three will be on Friday, and it's going to be Joe Musgrove against Ranger Suarez. San Diego's a favorite in that game. Musgrove's the better pitcher than Ranger Suarez. San Diego, it's a small favorite. Yeah, but this Mine, would this would have been huge for Philly to get to, oh, to sweep in San Diego. And, and Saturday's matchup hasn't even been announced yet. But y- you gotta think that Philly might go Noah Syndergaard and then treat it like a bullpen game, like like they, like they you know Syndergaard goes three innings and then they use high leverage relievers after that. I don't know who the Padres would throw. In that game, in the next game, so I don't know what the odds would be in that matchup. Um, game three and game three statistically, Fez, you would say, are it's the uber important game in a one-one series. The winner of game three goes on to win a high percentage amount of times. Just feels like moves the line probably 125 cents yeah, in either direction. Just feels like uh, it's 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 one that the Phillies have to have. Week 7 of the NFL kicks off tonight. Listen, we've had some real stinkers the last couple Thursdays. This one's not great, but we've had worse. So let's just be excited about what we've got, okay? 
The New Orleans Saints, two-and-a-half-point dogs at the Arizona Cardinals. I'll just say this. I don't like, and Fez, you're the NFL expert here. I don't like the idea of the Cardinals giving points right now. They just feel like a, a broken team. I don't think that there's any team relative to preseason expectations that has been as disappointing as the Cardinals have. Not only are they not winning games, they, they look bad in the games that they're losing, and they're they're losing to bad teams now. Yeah, just not even competitive, seemingly, against Seattle. I got to tell you, I've only I've lowered Arizona two points in my power ratings, and I'm thinking to myself, that's not enough. I probably should lower more. But look at the marketplace. The marketplace still believes. For some reason, Arizona's laying two and a half. I want to get at the Saints. So now the only question is, how am I going to get at the Saints? Pulling back the curtain, I never bet plus two and a half until – right before kickoff, all right? And then I still don't bet two and a half because I'd much rather tease through those that Wong teaser. You go sure. through the corridor, three to seven, six-point teaser. You make sure you don't lay more than minus $1.20. There's plenty of shops that have minus 120. If your shop charges you more, get a new shop. Shop around <laughs> because you're paying too much. The So I if they were about to kick off this game, immediately I'd tease New Orleans. But I'm going to wait. Who knows? If two and a half can show, three can show, and three – Betting plus three minus one ten in a straight bet is so much better than teasing that, that same game upwards because then you got to win both legs of the teaser. So holding out for three right now, but I certainly, if it doesn't get there, I'll tease New Orleans instead. Let's talk about your like you said you haven't downgraded the Cardinals greatly. They're two wins by the way. They're two and four. They're two wins against the Raiders and the Panthers, who have combined for two wins themselves. So this is not exactly a, a murderer's row. Raiders rather good team though. For one and four, they're actually I have them rated an above average team. I think there's a lot of hope that, and I think it's justified. We talk all the time about non quarterbacks being worth more than a point. It's a very rare thing. DeAndre Hopkins feels like his value to this team goes beyond you know just being a great wide receiver. Like he's a security blanket. He, may, he Kyler Murray is not comfortable when he's on the field, and you can look at the splits. They're all over ESPN. They're everywhere. Kyler Murray, when Hopkins is on the field versus when he's not, he's two different guys. How, how much do you think the return of DeAndre Hopkins will impact the Cardinals? Full point, and for those who say well, only one point, he's great. Well, a point's a lot. So pretty much every non-quarterback in the league is worth a maximum of one and a half points, and that's stratified error for anyone to be worth a point and a half. Aaron Donald, when he's like fully healthy, worth a point and a half on defense and on offense. You know, we're talking about like Cooper Cup and Derrick Henry when he was in, you know, when he was styling and running for 2,000 yards. And that's pretty much it. Especially like look at the the wide receivers. I mean, with Brown injured, AJ Green, is he still on the team? I mean, this this team is really hurting for playmakers. So Hopkins absolutely, you know, will make a difference. But you know what? It's still only worth a point. How do we feel about Hopkins receiving props tonight? Too much uncertainty. 61 and a half is his yardage prop. His reception prop is five and a half. I would look over. Well, let's also talk about this. And this is something that I don't think people discuss enough. When a guy comes back from a PED suspension, and let's face it, Hopkins was a guy who was injured a lot. He, he's missed 14 of the last 16 games that he could have played in. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be the same DeAndre Hopkins of old? It's a great point. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who's been, again, dealing with injury and then gets popped for PEDs. 
what's the real DeAndre Hopkins? I think mm-hmm. it's a good question. So I, I, I don't know that we just expect him to come back looking like the best wide receiver in the world because, let's face it, if you, you, you subtract a little something – uh, for, from his diet, maybe he's not the best wide receiver <laughs> in the world. You know, and there's also a lesson that the what what do the talking heads do? They like they recommend betting on overs. They want to play everybody over and give a good reason, particularly on standalone games, right? Yes. And what do the pros just make money hand over fist doing? Playing unders when mm-hmm. they get really good information about example Melvin Gordon under 55 rush yards. Dude gets three for eight yards. All right, People get worried that he's not going to be utilized very much. Those are the gems. Because even if you're you're directionally right and the over is correct, you're still – you lose if there's an injury and you lose if, if the focus of the uh, opponent is to stop your guy. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what's going to happen here if the focus on the Saints defense, which is banged up, but the focus on the Saints defense is going to be to stop DeAndre Hopkins, then maybe do we bet somebody else to benefit from that? Well, the the problem with that is you've got a guy in Robbie Anderson who's new to the offense. You don't know what you're going to get from him. I mean, maybe Zach Ertz is a guy. Robbie Anderson might – another guy that might – they might take away from Rondell Moore is the problem. You know, it's like there's there's a whole lot of moving parts going on here in terms of, you know, overall betting these props. I can tell you, you know, whenever there's a Thursday game, I always look more for lower scoring. Possibly it's because I keep watching Thursday games that don't score any touchdowns. (laughs) So I'm a little biased. But um, things like first half under 21 and the like, I'm um, I. It it sure seems like with less prep time, these can be real snoozers. Well, let's talk about the the Saints and where they are compared to the beginning of the season and why you got them to there. Yeah, so I've downgraded the Saints two and a half points. And, you know, obviously this was a team on the come that was supposed to be a contender and frankly got bet all the way up to nine for season wins after opening seven and a half. And it just hasn't materialized. The Saints have been a very injured team. Um, Winston obviously not being able to play and the spirited effort against the Bengals last week. But um, we've definitely downgraded the Saints from a contender to a below average team. You know, the the more I talk about it, and what I think what you just said is, do we target someone besides uh, DeAndre Hopkins? Because like you said, the Saints defense, they're banged up. There's injuries all over the field. I think the Zach Ertz prop may be the way to go. So hmm. I, this is an impromptu best bet. I'm going to go, I'm looking at it now, 47 and a half. Let's go Zach Ertz over 47 and a half receiving yards in tonight's game. I, I, I like that. I like the, the the thought process behind it because the Saints only have so many bodies. They have to commit to not letting DeAndre Hopkins beat them. Uh, and Zach Ertz is a good security blanket. He has been the last couple weeks for Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray over under 33 and a half rushing yards. I would, I, I, again, Fez, it scares me off a little bit. Star players on standalone games, you don't like to play them over, but it's the only way I could possibly look because I think Kyler Murray is going to have to count on his legs a little tonight. Yeah, and you know, one thing Arizona has been notoriously slow starting in these games. So now that the spread's at two and a half, um, I know it didn't work for you for the Phillies there <laughs> in the first five, but uh, first quarter plus a half, that plus a half is enormous. Well, last week was the first time all season that they scored in the first quarter, the Arizona Cardinals. So if you don't score, you don't cover yeah. laying a half. Yeah. Yes. Uh, New Orleans at plus one is minus 155. The first quarter. I'd also like to look at Chris Olave tonight. Uh, is you know he's coming back from injury. 
the Cardinals defense is dreadful. The secondary is dreadful. So there, and he's been a, when he's been on the field, which he's been off and on with injury. But when he's been on the field, he's been a very, very high usage guy for them. Uh, I'll have to pull up his his exact props, but just off the, off the dome, I would lean towards receptions for him. I yeah, think with Michael Thomas, you know, with it with injured, ineffective, um, and Olave, Landry fifty nine and a half. What's, what's the receptions number? Receptions for Olave is four and a half. I'd rather do receptions over than yards over. You know, I think I'm going to go yards because he's got the home run potential. That's yeah, possible. You know, with all the speed. You never know when he does a Tyreek Hill, takes a six-yarder. How about this 50. thing? What's the, uh, what's the number on him to score a touchdown? Anytime touchdown on uh, Chris Olave. Oh, I don't know if we're going to Oh, score. now we're having fun. We're going touchdown scores? All right. Let's check out the touchdown props. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Is there going to be a, a touchdown scored? <laughs> I mean, it is Thursday. You might be right. You That's might funny. be right. All right, so Chris Olave to score a touchdown is plus 190. That seems woefully inadequate to me. Yeah, DeAndre that... Hopkins is plus 115. Oh, what's the no on that? There is no no yeah, on that. There you go. Your Zach Ertz God, plus goodness. 230. If, if I can't bet the no, I'm almost – I'm very confident the yes offers little to no value. So tell me again, what's the number on his uh, receiving yards, Olave's receiving yards? Olave is receiving yards was 59 and a half. You like that, Fez? No, because I want to play – I want to make big bets on unders. Okay. I, I, I got to tell you, pulling right. back the curtain, my sweet spot is find me a guy who – it has some nagging injury, and he's not at a hundred percent, but he's having a good year. Mm. That's uh, Saquon so Barkley. Dalton, so Andy Dalton starting at quarterback. <laughs> Saquon Barkley under would be like the poster child. Give me a guy that's like like at the top of the list in terms of rush yards that suddenly um, is still going to play, but is is nicked up. Well, okay, maybe Andy yeah, Dalton. Honestly, Andy Dalton's been banged up, and mm. and and there is still, as we record this, a little bit of uncertainty as to. If it's going to be him or Jameis Winston, well, tonight. now that's but interesting. There probably won't be a prop up on him right now. Andy Dalton total over under passing yards two sixteen and a half. Now, see that's must, interesting. Must play for the uh, action, obviously. That's well, that's the thought. Like, is if you play the under, if he starts and he plays banged up, you've got your situation that you're looking for. And if he doesn't start, well, you, you you're in good shape. If Jameis at some point has to leave the game because his back po- starts acting up, you the, want the under for the sure. The poster child on this, of course, was last week, and I I apologize for pass posting a winner. Um, Miami Dolphins quarterback Skylar Thompson, mm-hmm. and he gets priced like a little over two hundred, which is probably too high even if he plays the whole game. Yeah, shocker, a little little <laughs> the, uh, hand injury, and like, let's yeah. let's get Bridgewater in there. Yes. Well, we talked about that too. Part of the handicap why I liked Miami was because I felt that Bridgewater was going to play. Miami well, was was right on that well, game. Minnesota had no business winning that game by eight points. I'll pass on Olave then, but I am going to. And even though he is nicked up, I, I'm not going to play the under on him. But I will take that Zach Ertz over. Andy, you know, I have a Andy Dalton uh, over a half. So Andy Dalton to throw an interception minus one hundred five. Kyler Murray to throw an interception minus one thirty. Sure feels like they're going to throw one, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know about Dalton. It's mm. Again, that Cardinal secondary is bad. I don't know if they can catch the ball if it hits them in the face. You know, usually the largest lead prop is either 13-and-a-half or 14-and-a-half. I, I tell you, if, if I can find a 14, I'm playing under. This sure doesn't look oh, like I, a game I, either I team separates. Very safe. I think yeah, very I, safe. I, I, think you're, I think that's a good one. As but well. your biggest recommendation is use this as the front leg of a teaser. Um, wait. My, wait on it because if it went to two-and-a-half, it could go to three. And if it doesn't go to three right before the game starts, 
even if it comes back down to two or one and a half, go ahead and tease New Orleans. And there are several options to pair it with. And I'll make it simple. Tease it to New England because they're going to be my survivor pick, and if they don't win, the world ends anyways. Okay, well, there we go. (laughs) That is Steve Fezzik helping us preview Thursday night football. Let's talk some college football and... Boy, we got away with one yesterday as we gave out the over in the Georgia State-App State game yesterday. And if you got up early and listened to Straight out of Vegas AM, you heard us say, over 58. Yes. Over 58 points in this game. If you waited and waited and said, ah, I guess I'll put it in right before kickoff, it was 60. Where do you think the game lands 59, of course. <laughs> Fiddle in the middle. Tell them, tell them to get up early, Fez. What are they waiting? I mean, what are you doing? You know, this, this is really the difference between winning and losing as a professional better. If you write down every bet you make the rest of your life, this is your homework every day. <laughs> Sounds And then terrible. I want you to subtract one point from every spread you bet the rest of your life. All right. I do this over a long period of time. Or give yourself an extra point. You will be just amazed after a year. It's like going to make the difference. Even if you're like $100 better, you're going to be like $6,000 better mm. or $7,000 worse. Just one lousy little point. And getting in front of the line was, hey, it's a standalone game on on a midweek night. What do you think the public was betting? Over. Of course, course. over. Yeah. Of course they were. Everyone's rooting for points. And, Um, you know, Fez, you said something about, and Appalachian State dominates this game, by the way. You said something that I didn't really give thought to, but I guess we're getting to the time of year where we need to start considering the weather. Yeah, fire fire and ice. So the temperature here didn't dip down to freezing, but darn close to it in Boone. Um, Is that correct? Yep, that is. Boone, North Carolina. So uh, up in the Appalachian Mountains, and it got cold. And... Maybe it's just that selective um, memory. Every time I watch Miami of Florida play like at Pittsburgh at the end of November, there was one Sun Bowl they played in. It was like 30 degrees in El Paso, and the players are shivering on the sideline. It's just it changes everything, and it's never accounted for nearly enough in the marketplace where they're like, oh, it's not that cold. It'll be okay, but it's all relative. If you're used to South Beach in 80 degrees or if you're used to Atlanta where until, you know, a a little while ago it's been in the 80s and then you got to play suddenly in 38 degrees and your opponent's been able to practice in that and you've been nowhere close, it has an impact. Uh, All right, let's talk about the games coming up tonight. Virginia and Georgia Tech. Listen, it's ACC football. It's Power 5 football. This is ugly. Mm -hmm. Virginia – Plus three at Georgia Tech. I like Georgia Tech in this one. Um, they impressed me a little bit against Duke. We had Duke in that game, uh, part of our college football contest pick, and uh, I was just watching Georgia Tech play really well defensively. Also, you know, you look at that schedule. They're a three-win team right now. If they want to play in a bowl game, this is a game they have to have because there aren't many if any, winnable games remaining on their schedule. So with a win here over Virginia, that will give them four wins. They play two-win Virginia Tech on November 5th. At that point, I don't know what Virginia Tech's going to be. Maybe Virginia Tech loses to NC State, and now they're a two-and-six football team, and they've quit on the year. So that means that's a fifth win. Starting to think a bowl game is a real possibility for these Yellow Jackets. Plus, there's always that chance with all these bowl games that – 
teams back out, something happens, and they wind up picking that rare five-win team to get a bowl game. It has happened. You know, I scoffed at this, and I think this is really strong. This is a resurrection play. This is a dead Georgia Tech team because they were so bad to start the season. And the mere fact that we can mathematically map out a realistic outcome where they could get to a bowl game with – we, admittedly, they're going to have to pull a couple upsets. All well, of just sudden, one upset, really. If they would have to like maybe upset Florida State or upset Miami. Yeah. So here's a team that suddenly is revitalized. New coach. Two straight wins. Excited about playing midweek game. I can actually see them getting a little support from the crowd. Also, we we I thought Georgia Tech was going to go two and and ten and be drawing dead. The thing for me in this game is, and I. I I'm leaning the opposite way of you, Scott. I, I, I'm leaning towards Virginia here, and mostly because neither one of these teams can throw the ball down the field, mm-hmm. uh, which is a surprise. If you told me at the beginning of the season, Brendan Armstrong would be one of the worst passers in yeah, the ACC. Yeah, what a, what a regression from him. I, I wouldn't have believed it, but what he is doing is rushing for seven yards a carry. Like He's been really good on the ground. Sims, same thing for Georgia Tech. Can't throw the ball a lick, mm-hmm. but he runs the ball well, although he did leave the game last week with an injury. I, he's supposed to be back. I, I don't know what percentage he'll be back. So to me, really what it boils down to is how do these teams do against the run? Well, Virginia, 21st in success rate against the run. Georgia Tech, 127th. Mm. That's a massive gap to me. So if I see two good running teams, one good – and let's face it, the best unit of the four is Virginia's defense. Georgia Tech's run defense is terrible. That worries me for Georgia Tech. Both teams running the ball early. Can I get a first quarter under 10? What, way $1.25? Uh, I'll find out. Sure that, seems but... to me. I know I saw 10 earlier in the day because I bet them. And that was just basic strategy based upon my guys like the under in the game. But if the game script is a lot of running, that helps the first quarter. Obviously, once a team gets behind, funniness can happen in the half. second half. Yeah, the difference is by... You you know what I'll I'll spend th- nine and a half plus one fifteen. I it doesn't matter. I I want the under ten late thirty five. So shop around when every book puts it up. It's not unusual that you see a disparity between what mm-hmm. you, because there'll be pressure. What'll happen? People will bet over nine and a half, and a book might say we're catching all this action and go to ten. Look for the ten. It 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 really it takes two touchdowns to beat you. What about first half under twenty two and a half? No, I twenty three is such a key number. Look no further. What was it? Seems like um, just the, like the Dallas Philly game. Twenty three. I mean, mm-hmm. there are touchdowns, a lot three field goals. Twenty three is important. Listen, over. there's a lot of twenty three and a halfs out right now. You get under twenty three and a half at, at Circa, Westgate, Bet Online, Caesars. So you you can find a twenty three and a half right. Bold now. prediction. Well, they're not. They're going. It's going to be scoreless at the end of the half. But no, it's going to land twenty three, <laughs> and you're going to win with the good number, just like you did last night with the. Um, uh, the game Appalachia, landing, yeah. Appalachia yeah. landing the 59. Yep, that'd be that would be nice. All right, let's go to South Alabama for we had a you know let's face it we we said uh, yesterday we we have a good Sun Belt East matchup mm-hmm. uh, and we did although it didn't it didn't end up being a competitive game Appalachian State dominates like I said we have a really good Sun Belt West matchup. Tonight between Troy and South Alabama. Troy is plus three in this game. I don't really I, – I'm, I'm much higher on South Alabama than I am Troy, but I, I will say, admittedly, Troy is better than I thought they were going to be for sure. I still think South Alabama is like one of the teams that could be hanging around making a case for a, a New Year's Bowl. This, this is a team whose one loss came to UCLA, which in hindsight – 
that's a pretty good loss. Yeah. Uh, South Alabama's legit. They're deep. They're talented. I feel like South Alabama's the only side I could look to play here. Any interest in the total? Because it's really low at 46 and a half. Uh, and South Alabama's a team that scores some points. But, again, South Alabama and Troy, both very high-level G5 defenses. Uh-huh. So that scares me off a little bit. Uh, I mean, Troy partic- particularly good against the pass. So I, I, it's a it's probably a pass on the total for me. Uh, although, again, Troy hasn't been challenged the way they're going to be challenged in this game. South I, Alabama I also is, like think, you said, a very good offense. Yeah, I also think it's whenever you have, uh, you know, kind of like an uh, in-state rivalry like this, especially at schools on this level, a lot of the times you're getting kids that played against each other in high school. There's yeah. a little bit of a rivalry here. You know, let's be honest. You're a high school football player in Alabama. You aspire to go play for Alabama. You're not playing for Nick Saban, though, because he doesn't recruit you. You stay in state. You're getting recruited by, you know, the UABs of the world. Not Auburn? You're not an Auburn kid either? You're not an Auburn uh. kid. You're getting recruited by the UABs. You're getting recruited by Troy. You're getting recruited by South Alabama. So these, are, I feel like it's comparable talent levels and maybe players that have a little bit of a pride in this matchup. This could be a little bit of a, a fun little rivalry game. Yeah, I think this is a scrappy matchup. How but far I, apart are these two schools? I can't imagine Troy is far. in South Alabama, right? They're, I, I think it is. Yeah, I don't know my Alabama geography so that much. So it would be uh, South Alabama's in Mobile. Uh, that would be a two-hour and 45-minute car ride. There you go. Oh, further than I thought. Well, still, that's not that far, man. I, I, Alabama's a bigger state than people think it is, uh, but it, it, that's that's. Drove once from Fort, Fort Walton Beach to Biloxi. They call that the Redneck Riviera. There, we just call we call it Biloxi. I mispronounced it. Biloxi, yeah, Biloxi, not Biloxi. I was there, and I got this got the name wrong. B- B- Biloxi? <laughs> that's embarrassing. Biloxi, Mississippi. Troy leads the all time C- series between these two schools seven three. Hey, a shout out to Circus Sports here locally in Vegas. Uh, last night they were dealing on these two games. Guess what the limits are on the app? Betting on the app, Scott. What would you say you could bet on these on these games on the side? Ten k, forty thousand. Whoa! The night before in Virginia and twenty thousand on Troy, South Alabama. This isn't even the day of the game. This is the night before. I'm sure those limits will go up today. That is a nice number. Let's not go. that I'm, who's look, la- who's not that I'm looking to lay forty k on the Virginia on. Georgia Tech game. Who's laying, but... who's laying ten dimes on Troy, baby? Ooh. Well, good luck if you are. Uh, but enjoy the college football tonight. If you choose not to watch the NFL, it's nice to have options. Yesterday wasn't the official tip-off day for the NBA, but it was a day where everybody was playing almost a full slate yesterday. It was the leftover tip-offs. It, it, I mean, I guess it was – listen, it, it was it was a full slate of NBA action. I know our resident NBA expert, Mackenzie Rivers, was excited. He's had his face stuck to a television most of today. Mackenzie, let's start with what ended up being the most shocking result today, I think, the Pelicans, a team that you were high on coming into this season, absolutely smashing the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, the big question was Zion Williamson, maybe a top 20 player in the NBA, lots of usage. How is he going to fit into a team that pushed the Suns the six games yesterday? I was of the opinion that he's the most get in where you fit in, can do anything, can be a big, can be a small, can be point Zion. He just helps. He's just additive. And that's what we saw 
when they won 32 to 14 in the first quarter out the gate. This is a team that makes sense. Zion just adds to that. Really feeling good about my over 45 wins. Is Zion on the right side of 280, McKenzie? He's looking svelte, man. He's looking like he's on some sort of contest or something because he's he's like 250 almost. And what did we make? What do we make of the supporting cast? Brandon Ingram had a good night. Uh, C.J. McCollum has a good night. It's starting to feel like this is a. I mean, I, I feel like it's an obvious playoff team, but it feels like if, if they stay healthy, a team that could maybe compete. Yeah, they started three and sixteen last year. No hope, but somehow by the All Star break, they had enough hope to get C.J. McCollum a win now move. After that, when Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum played eight and two straight up in ATS down the stretch last year. Now we can say nine and two straight up in ATS in regular season games with Brandon Ingham in the lineup and one and zero oh with those three with Zion. All right, let's talk about the Nets side of things. Uh, Kevin Durant, eleven of twenty-one, he puts up thirty-two points. This is a team that had a lot of turmoil in the offseason. Kyrie Irving, not a great day uh, from the field, six of nineteen, and Ben Simmons, who felt well enough to go out and play a basketball game. <laughs> what twenty-three minutes? Two of three shooting, four points. Now, if you just said I'm, Ben Simmons shot 66% tonight, you'd say, ooh, that's pretty good. But it was two of three. What are our expectations for Ben Simmons offensively with this team? And do they need him to be something offensively to compete? On the NBA podcast on RJ Bell's Dream Preview, you might have heard of it. Probably have listened to this podcast. I said Ben Simmons' optimism, his best-case scenario, is being Draymond Green, where he stays out of the way on offense, he facilitates, he passes, but he's not looked at to score. Well, if I say three field goals, okay, he's doing his role, but then I look six personal fouls in 23 minutes. All right, it's been 510 days. Wait, aren't you kicked out of the game once you get six personal fouls? That's why you only play 23 minutes. Minus 26 plus minus. It's been 500-something days since Ben Simmons last played a game. The early returns are not good for him being back to a twenty-five top 25 player. And what do we think of him from, a, I mean, obviously there's some rust, but we think his long-term viability as a defender is still there? Or yeah, is... this guy that finished second in Defensive Player of the Year, and he somehow was 10th in the odds. I didn't understand that. I thought there was some value there. Uh, I mean, if he's back to where he was, he should be a lot better than this defense. Let's talk about your hometown team, the Chicago Bulls. 116-108 winners over the Miami Heat. DeMar DeRozan had a pretty big night. I, I was of the opinion that there's no possible way, no universe in which DeRozan can shoot as well as he did last year. Early returns, 37 points. Maybe he can. By the way, they had a rookie or a second year now point guard. The Heat last year were the best team against defending point guards. 17 points, 50% shooting. That's a pretty good performance as a point guard against the Heat. So I was bearish on this team coming in, but they looked really good against a tough defensive team. I had a fun run with DeRozan last year. Mackenzie, you'll appreciate this. So prior to his blow-up, right before the All-Star break, I believe it was, uh, he was 50-1 to to win the most valuable player. I put 200 on it to win 10K. Over the course of the next two weeks, DeMar DeRozan creeps all the way down to becoming the third or fourth favorite I think to win the MVP. Will Chamberlain. He tied Wilt Tam- yes. Chamberlain in some crazy streak, so you probably picked the best he, possible time to he had, he had He set the record. It was, what was, eight straight games of 30 points while shooting over 50%, uh, 50% yeah. from the field? He, whatever he passed it was. Wilt Chamberlain, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. And, and he, he gets down to, like, plus 800 to win the award, 
and then absolutely disappears for the rest of the season. <laughs> it was embarrassing. It was a fun run, though. It was a fun, <laughs> it was a fun two-week period, and I kept on coming on every show at night and updating. DeMar DeRozan, 36 points tonight. He was 12 of 16 from the field. It was, it was quite the run. What might be a short-term run is two teams in the NBA. You know, this is shocking to me. I pay attention to the NBA season win numbers. And I can tell you the Hornets got bet hard to the under. They went from 38 wins at one point, closed 32 at Circa. And they won last night. And they win by 27. Mm -hmm. And then the Utah Jazz, their total at one point early in the cycle was as high as in the low 30s. They closed 24. They, too, win in a blowout by 21 points. This is two teams the market says are going to be sweepstakes to get ping pong balls. And they're two of the three blowout winners Aberration, McKenzie? What's going on? The market doesn't get everything right, but speaking of that game, the market does get it right. I was on this podcast talking about how I thought overs were the way to go. When I said that, the total in that game, Jazz Utah, I mean Jazz Nuggets, 219. Close 225, game closes 225. So the market is keen into some things. Whether the Hornets are a, a bet against team because they have two players arrested, I don't know, maybe not. Looks like the other guys picked up the slack, huh? Yeah, right. No, no doubt. Those that are free for the Hornets, doing pretty good. Or the Spurs, maybe. Another team that was bad against in the season wins. Could the Spurs just be epically bad this year? Yes. Greg Popovich said, don't bet on my team, my Spurs, to win the championship. The subtext was, don't bet against again <laughs> on my team ever, because we're going to be really bad. That's the plan. They want Victor Wembanyama. They want the number one draft. This is not a smokescreen no. <laughs> the, 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 this is a um, emergency bet against us alert, right? Exactly. He's, he's been kind to us. And in the maybe the biggest game of the night, the nightcap, the Phoenix Suns 107-105 winners over the Mavs. Mavs cover, but it, it's really unbelievable because the Mavs 17-point halftime lead. Their lead stretched out to as wide as 22 in the second half. Suns come all the way back and win this game. What's your takeaway, McKenzie? Biggest takeaway, it's going to be surprising, it's Chris Paul. Chris Paul played zero minutes in the fourth quarter. One for six before that. The Suns, give them credit, huge rally. Cameron Payne, the backup point guard, played great in the fourth quarter. Devin Booker played great the entire game. But if Chris Paul's not Chris Paul, and he wasn't the last three games of the playoffs, I mean, just terrible numbers. Now that's four games in a row. That's a trend. My biggest takeaway is Chris Paul may not be Chris Paul anymore. Oh, and Father Time, uh, he, touch, he touches everyone eventually on the chin. Chris Chris Paul, maybe it's coming for him. Mm, Belichick, or, exception. Or well, maybe. A coach. Listen, coaches can coach until they, they, they die. Do you like, think that Exactly. Maybe, That's why he's the exception. <laughs> do you think that maybe Chris Paul and, and the Suns kind of understand that the regular season is whatever and, and it's all about being healthy in the postseason? So if they, if they were minutes? looking at it like that, they don't, uh, they don't make a, a – 22-point comeback and, and win this game. But they like, did it without him on the floor. I think because that was the way to do it. I, I don't know that – I mean, McKenzie, you, you, you saw more of this than I did. Based on how Chris Paul was playing, does it seem to you like had he played those late minutes that this comeback works? Like maybe, he had a, maybe he had a minute's restriction. Maybe the plan was 30 minutes and that's it. But then why would you save those minutes that you're not going to play him for the fourth quarter? Because that, that the game, because they were getting blown out. They probably he probably, they probably just chalked the game but up for I a loss, I, and then all of a sudden the bench guys are are, are I, I didn't, see it, I didn't see it that way. It I, felt to me that the Suns needed to win this game. They got embarrassed last year by this team. They felt all in the entire game. And Cameron Payne plus 15, 
Chris Paul minus nine. That's a 24-point differential. Mm. They didn't play Chris Paul because they didn't think he would help them win. I'm going to make a bold prediction here, and maybe there's a, an injury we're unaware of, but if uh, Chris Paul's going to have a disastrous year. Oh. All you need is to see this one data point. Uh, Chris Paul, leg injury minus 450. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go, at some point this year. I'm going to go shoulder injury at minus 270. You know, if it, an even more specific hamstring, you can get you can get minus 500. So take the knee, the foot out, hamstring only minus 500. I don't even like his commercial. Frankly, <laughs> who does? Just two games on tonight's NBA schedule: a TNT doubleheader. The Bucks will visit the 76ers. Philly, a four-point favorite. Total of 225. Where are you leaning, Mac? I lean to the Bucks. I mean, the Sixers were three-point favorites before they lost to the Celtics. I don't get how they get an upgrade. James Harden looked good, but I would lean to the Bucks. That line move doesn't make sense. And the Battle of L.A., uh, both teams home at the Crypto.com Arena. Clippers visiting the Lakers. By visiting, I mean going across the court. Clippers are five-and-a-half-point favorites, total of 223-and-a-half, McKenzie. Wow, it's up to five-and-a-half. Before the Lakers game yesterday, it was four. Yeah, I was now it's a point-and-a-half move. I disagree with the move, but... I generally looked for. I'm bullish on the Clippers. I was looking. I was. I was looking to ask you this. Like, how much of an advantage is it if you've got a game in hand, playing a team playing their first game of the season? By instinct, I haven't run the numbers on this. Is that the teams with the rest have a strong advantage? But that's just my. Instinct. I know in college football, the the feeling is having the game under your belt helps, but the actual numbers support the opposite. That playing your first game against someone who's played and you've got film on them is the advantage. You know, the Lakers are sitting at 43 and a half for a season win. Don't overreact to one reaction, but I'm feeling like I should bet 10,000 under. Mackenzie, what do you think? It was 50 and a half last year. It was 45 and a half when the bookmakers opened up the number. Huge move, but I mean, I don't see anything that would make me want to bet on them. And we talked about all the lines in the baseball and football for today's games. Scott, tell us what's happening with the puck. Yeah, we got a full slate of action on the ice. The Ducks visit the Bruins. Boston minus 210 total of six and a half. The Predators are in Columbus to take on the Blue Jackets. Nashville minus 136 and a half is the total there. Coyotes are at the Canadiens. Montreal minus 160 total of six and a half. Sharks are 0-5 to start the year. They're at the Rangers. New York minus 250. Total 6.5 there. Capitals at the Senators. Ottawa minus 115. 6.5. The Kings are at the Penguins. Pittsburgh minus 190. Total as well. 6.5. Stars are 3-0 to start the year. They visit the Maple Leafs. Toronto minus 170. Total 6.5. Devils at the Islanders. The Islanders minus 135. Favorites. And total 6.5. The Canucks are at the Wild Minnesota. Minnesota minus 178, six and a half as well. Sabres visit the Flames. Calgary minus 285. The Flames 3-0 to start the year. Total six and a half there. Hurricanes also 3-0. They are in Edmonton to take on the Oilers. The Oilers are a minus 120 favorite. Total of six and a half. And the Jets coming off an overtime win last night against the Colorado Avalanche. Yes, those Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. The Jets are here in town to take on VGK, the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas minus 170, total of six and a half, and we might have to pick on the team playing the second night of a back-to-back. You've said that's very profitable this year. Yep, favorites this year against teams playing the second night of a back-to-back are 11 and three, and favorites of minus 200 or more, 15 and six straight up on this season. So you have a favorite that's close to minus 200 and 
Also playing a team that's on a back-to-back, you got a double trend like there, Fez. And whenever that falls in, I like to find some way to play it. Although I'm not a big fan of just diving into the, the money line and just accepting those trends. I like to look into uh, what is referred to as the derivative markets when it comes to those games. For instance, Panthers yesterday, huge favorites over the Flyers. Minus 385. Philly, second out of a back-to-back. Backup goaltender getting his first action of the season. Naturally, people said, take the Panthers on the puck line. And if he did, what a bad beat. Flyers score with two seconds left in regulation. Going from a 4-2 score to a 4-3 score. So final was 4-3. You lost on the minus a goal and a half. But my play was Panthers in the first period laying a half a goal. Gave that out to my clients. And the reason being is I expected Florida to come out strong. It was their home opener. But also attacking the fatigued team and the backup goaltender seeing his first live action of the season, thinking it was going to take some time for them to kind of get their legs underneath them, and maybe Florida would catch them snoozing, Florida jumped out to a 2-0 lead. So it worked out in my favor there. I know you also like with the derivative market oftentimes, instead of laying like a minus 240, you'll bet the team to just win in regulation. Yes, bet the team to win in regulation. It's it's better than betting the puck line because – you don't have to rely on the empty netter. You don't have to win by two as long as they just win in regulation. If you think you have a favorite that is going to cover that puck line, you could take him in regulation. You're up 3-2 with a minute and a half to play, and you're ecstatic versus being up 3-2, laying one and a half, where you really need a fortunate uh, event to occur for you to So cash. on uh, Tuesday night, I lost my second game of the uh, wah, season. Wah. Yeah. It was my second 11 loss. 11 and 2 now or what? 12 and 2. Oh. Get the numbers right, AJ. Oh. But I had the over 6.5 in the Devils Ducks game. It is a 4 2 Devils lead with three and a half minutes. Got to pull your goalie. The Devils played some of the best four checking that I've seen mm-hmm. in quite some time. The Ducks never got the puck, and the Devils kept the puck in the Ducks' mm. zone the whole time. So Anaheim wasn't able to pull their goalie until about a minute left, and then they took a penalty. And so there was no empty netter. So sometimes you can't just rely on those empty netters to get your Ws. So eh, take a look at some different markets, different ways to play teams, team totals, periods, uh, definite ways to attack this NHL season. Plus I'm it's telling nice. you right now, the NHL is a beatable game. If you are going to make a big bet, Sometimes it's nice to diversify because yeah. if you bet if you bet a team instead of just taking a big favorite minus one and a half, if you play them to cover the first period, you play them to cover and regu- mm. to win in regulation. Yeah. You see where I'm going? That you'll have a lot of nights where you'll chop out and you'll go two and one or one and two or three and zero, oh, but it'll keep you in the game. If instead of betting three hundred yeah. on one event, you bet a hundred, a hundred, and a hundred on three different ones. Great conversation surrounding the NBA. Obviously, just a short slate tonight that we went over, but plenty of games to get into each and every morning here on Straight Out of Vegas AM. And Mackenzie Rivers will be here to do it all with us. And Mackenzie, last year, what were you? Uh, what was the the percentage? AJ actually knows this, right? What was uh, it was it? F- fifty four. Yeah, that was something, something like that. that. Yeah, that Close. makes sense. It, it rounded out at fifty seven point three percent. Ah, that's oh, right. Okay. All right. All right. Well, if you think you can beat that, here's what we're doing at pregame.com. We're giving you a free chance to win $1,000. I'm betting against someone doing that, by the way. Well, 
It's called the Beat McKenzie Rivers NBA Contest. It's a really ir- original name. It took a while at the think tank to come up with that. Here's what you have to do. The contestant that earns the most NBA units this season will win $500 cash for free. Free entry. You earn the most units out of everybody in the contest, $500. But if you win more units than what McKenzie won last year, plus 64.03 units in the NBA, then you're going to win an extra $500. That's $1,000 for free if you beat McKenzie Rivers in the NBA. You want to try, Fez? No. Me neither. I, I'll bold prediction. Someone's going to be very happy. They're going to win $500. They're not going to win the thing. <laughs> it's free. Go to pregame.com and sign up. And also on pregame.com, get yourself a season-long subscription package. Fezzik is crushing it this year. Over 100 units? Yes. Yeah. That, 105. That, that's incredible. AJ is UFC card. This is the biggest card of, of the year, right? Biggest one of the year. I am pumped about this well, card. Well, it's not like you had a great weekend last weekend. So well, I mean. No, I only went 6-0 and last weekend, so it was a tough one. Yeah, it should have been seven and zero. We we all we all know that. <laughs> get better this get 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 better this week. I'll work okay? on that. Uh, you can jump on board with my early bird NHL package, twelve and two to start the year on the ice picks. And if you want a, any package on pregame.com, we're going to give you twenty percent off. How you ask? Use the promo code New Twenty. That's N E W twenty. It's good for listeners of this podcast only. So shh, keep it a secret. Actually, don't keep it a secret. Tell your friends. We're giving 20% off for everybody. New 20 is the promo code. And don't forget, subscribe. Leave us a little bit of a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts from. Help us grow. Share the word. And if you want a full NFL breakdown, the Dream Preview Pod is up on RJ Bell's Dream Preview Podcast feed. So you get all of the NFL Double likes, triple likes, crossfires, it's all available, and we will break it all down for you. Recap of Thursday Night Football coming up tomorrow. We are straight out of Vegas, AM.